Imagine this, you are a successful business person, you have a comfortable job that you enjoy, you're an employee from a large company in a country that you've always dreamt of, but something tells you that there's more out there and you decide to quit your job and start anew. This is a scenario that you only hear of in news articles and movies, so how do you make this dream come true? In this episode, we will tell all by revealing the story of Suman Kanaganti. I'm your host, Sabrina Lay, and welcome to episode three of Inspired by Immigrants. This podcast is sponsored by Rocketta Labs. Rocketta Labs is a startup accelerator based in San Francisco Bay Area. Some opportunities the accelerator provides for startups include mentoring and feedback from experienced sales, software and marketing professionals, marketing on the company website, and depending on if there's synergy, revenue sharing partnerships, and access to our global sales channels. If you would like more information, visit our website at kyoceralabs.com. Starting a new business is hard. Starting a new business after moving to America from your home country and giving up on a comfortable job and visa sponsorship is even harder. But that's exactly what Suman did when kickstarting his entrepreneurial dream. Suman Kanaganti, born and raised in a small university town in southern India, migrated to the U.S. in 2002 to pursue his master's in robotics at the University of Missouri-Columbia. Passionate about science and technology ever since he was a kid, his journey has been in pursuit of emerging technology and innovation. He was an avid proponent of the Linux open source community in the early days and built technology such as robotics in the automotive space, auto-scaling compute before AWS existed, mobile streaming services before 4G networks, and consumer-facing applications like TurboTax and fintech innovations such as smart wallets before Google Wallet even existed. His current startup, Personal AI, formerly known as Human AI Labs, is a startup using neuroscience, AI, and blockchain to build a technology for solving the problem of memory retention and recall. Rather than focusing on fixing the brain, Personal AI is building a literal personal AI for every individual to expand the potential of their biological memory, to forget less and recall more. You can learn more about Suman's startup at personal.ai. In this podcast, you will learn of the mindset and philosophy that Suman had to overcome his struggles of starting a business multiple times and accomplish what budding entrepreneurs can only dream of. With that, let's get this interview started. Suman, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Hi there, Jacob. Thanks. I'm Suman Kanaganti. By background, I'm an engineer. I came to the United States almost 20 years ago. Um, I have master's in robotics and master's in MBA, but generally... I am more passionate about uh, science and technology ever since I was a kid. That journey has been in the pursuit of like uh, mostly emerging uh, technologies and innovation. Um, I'll give you some examples. I was uh, an avid proponent of Linux open source community in the early days, built technologies such as uh, robotics in the automotive space and also involved in the cloud technologies, mobile streaming technologies. But more importantly, I think my passion has evolved to building and creating and solving problems for consumer facing applications. I uh, started with TurboTax and Pintech and moved on to uh, Aira, which was my previous uh, startup, solving for blind people. And now, right now, Human AI Labs, which uh, is solving for memory retention and recall. So what inspired you to create Human AI Labs? Where did you get this idea to create a memory keeper? Uh, good question. Um, so, I mean, my background generally is in uh, solving for the problems that are high impact to the human that are close to the human. So I tend to normally focus on augmentation of the things that makes human productive, 
more happier, more enjoyable. In my previous company, uh, it was uh, IRA, A-I-R-A, uh, and it's a technology for people who are blind and low vision, augmenting their vision. And it was uh, fantastic enhancing how people who were blind were able to negotiate with the environment in a new and novel way. After I exited IRA, I naturally picked up the passion towards like memory augmentation. Right, 80% of what we process, like almost every day, is just lost. It's, it's forgotten. It's gone forever. And human memory is notoriously fickle and it's fallible. So I think the uh, intention of how can I remember the things that I am already processing and how can I create sort of this recall experience, not necessarily thinking about search, but beyond search, the recall experience, much more natural to human biological memory, uh, sort of like what kind of motivated. So to sum it up, I think I always picked up this philosophy that you don't solve the human, you solve the problem. Uh, and previous life, I worked on vision augmentation, and now I'm excited to work on memory augmentation. You know, I, I know you obviously from uh, you know many many years and previous uh, work, but my my question to you, I don't, I don't think I ever asked you, how do you come up first of all with an idea okay. for a startup? So you've done one already, it's successful. You exit it. You're now working on something else. How do you first of all come up with an idea? And second of all, how do you start executing? Like, do you call people and say, hey, I have this idea? And then what's the next step for executing? Because I think a lot of our listeners who are founders, who are um, you know, interested in starting something, uh, I think that's something that will be cool to hear from you. Very good question. Um, and I think it's probably one of the tough questions um, because I don't think there's any magic sauce. In other words, it doesn't happen overnight. That, that I can surely tell, it never happens overnight. I think what normally happens is as you go by your life, there are certain uh, uh, things that you will start to observe. Like, you know, what are the prominent uh, set of uh, problems that you are facing, you know, generally, I think generally, I think that's what my tendency is, my uh, behavior is. But at the same time, what are the trends that are happening outside in the world, right? What are the technological trends that are happening? What is the technosphere that exists today that you can potentially uh, apply to a specific problem? Uh, and I think once there is like, you know, multiple different correlations that are happening in the technological space, in the economic space, as well as in the problem space, uh, is there a, a convergence that is happening on multiple different disciplines coming together at the same time? And I believe for me, it's almost a process, right? So before even I was able to figure out what is that initial one minute pitch, I had to spend at least three to six months to understand the space in itself, understand uh, like in this case, which is memory augmentation, I have to understand like what exists in the space right now, uh, how people see the problem, what does the neuroscience tell us? If there is a technology solution, will the existing technological trends kind of support us or fight with us, right? I think it, it's, it, it's a lot of research. It's also talking to a lot of people, uh, but it's also about uh, trying to test uh, or experiment, if you will, with some of the people uh, to see if the problem resonates with them and to see if what you are trying to build uh, actually is validated, right? So I think that's, I, I went through that process for this company, like probably for one year <laughs> before uh, I decided to go all in, but you would never know, meaning you I don't know when I started. It's not like, oh, okay, you know, we're starting today. I will work on this memory augmentation thing. But I do know when I made the decision saying that I'm going to go all in into this one, which was around like in September of you know 2019 and the company started in February 2020. Again, a lot of our, our listeners are foreign founders. What is this experience of you moving from India? Okay, so my first flight ever in my life is coming to the United States, which is crazy from my perspective, because I mean, I just think about like how far we have come. And this idea of like one, hopping on the flight, 
landing in a place where you don't know exactly what it feels like it's a, it's an unknown it's almost like an adventure exciting adventure because us is the country where dreams come true uh, which is definitely not real in my in my case so i think i think there is an interesting dynamics that i i think over a period of time i started understanding which is uh, where in the united states you actually land when you leave your you know origin country i believe will set a stage for the the, the career that you will take as a person that you became uh, over a period of time you know I, i obviously spent 20 years of my life in the united states right now i landed in midwest i went to university of missouri columbia you know we, we all know the the culture that revolves around you know what happens in midwest is like so different than a california experience or a san diego experience where you have you know a lot of immigrants and you have friends i mean california is great uh, me going into midwest exposed or put you in such a vulnerable position to be able to uh, embrace the culture that you are not used to you know i kind of learned the new and all ways of doing it and my first thanksgiving was the first uh, time i came to united states in 2000 yeah 2002 and my my uh, uh, professor invited me over there and this is a radically different experience so I, i guess what, what the reason i'm telling you the story is i think i think every uh, person situation coming to us or any other country would probably vary but i think for the fact that you made a choice to go do something you got to embrace what you what the environment and what the atmosphere has to offer to you and can you belong in there rather than fighting the norms of what it is and i tell the same thing to my friends like when when somebody is going to visit india all i say is just don't fight it just embrace it like you know while you are there enjoy what it has to offer to you because things are going to be different it's also a cultural experience right like if you land in new york and you live in the east coast your first exactly. impression of the us is different than landing in 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 kansas yeah and sometimes i think oh dear if i were to you know landed in new york or landed in uh, uh, silicon valley i would have started my entrepreneurial journey faster but you never know uh, i mean just thinking about the alternate journey line of your life of where you would probably land i think is probably rather a waste of time but rather thinking about how can you build in the previous and the past experiences to only prospect the future is how i would want to think about it so like your cultural background coming from india did that help or affect you know your experience at all moving to missouri what was it like you know networking with people making connections given your background there was definitely some experiences <laughs> there are definitely some experiences that were not welcoming at all but there are a lot more experiences that are so welcoming that outweighs some of the bad experiences that you have in terms of the culture you know i tend to think like again you know the past experiences will help i the attitude that you gather while you are growing up well i was in india which is a small village small town i think will likely help in it, you know putting together a different perspective uh, resilience is something that you develop over a period of time for the fact that you took that bold step of coming from like a small town in india to united states you know for your first flight there is some inherent or intrinsic resilience that you are starting to adopt uh, and i think over a period of time that only strengthens so the variations that is that involved in an entrepreneurial journey dealing with different different personalities dealing with different attitudes different backgrounds i think uh would rather be a little bit more you know adaptive i don't know but but it's also very subjective right uh, in other words like people who grew up in one place would also have some of those skills but i would want to basically err on the side on it happened for rare reason you know that i ended up doing up in india and coming to us and doing these things um 
you know, people always think about like, you know, are people like judging me because I'm Indian and, you know, you are raising money and going to Washington DC and, you know, sitting down with uh, a group of uh, Americans. I, I don't want to be in a position where people are like thinking about that judging me, right? I want to just uh, focus on the things that I'm good at and then make progress towards the direction where I would want to head to. And eventually the environment and the, and the, and the surroundings will start to respect you if you start to respect you know, what it has to offer. Those are the things you kind of, when you look back at it, you like, you realize how much um, of an impact it has on you, right? And, and Suman, how would you say um, some of these early experiences um, as an immigrant helped you become a better leader, somebody who hires people, somebody who leads, and you know, say it's your second uh, startup. How do you see that as opposed to maybe somebody who is not an immigrant? Uh, it's a very tough question. Um, let's see if I can articulate maybe some perspectives. I'm asking because in your previous company, you were a CEO at some point, then somebody else stepped in just because you were growing, you're getting finances. And it doesn't have to be a negative uh, judgment. I'm just saying that different styles of leadership because of, you know, you're different people. So I'm sure like based on like where you grow up and what kind of culture that you surrounded yourself with, there are some attributes that you develop over a period of time. Uh, but when it comes down to entrepreneurship, the, 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 there is a ecosystem of like learning experience that you have to do within being an entrepreneur uh, itself, right? Now, I think being an immigrant would definitely make me more persistent. Like I don't know, I never want to give up. But I think the idea of like growing the company uh, early stages, you know, mid stages, later stages, you know, I, I think most every entrepreneur kind of goes through that journey, but immigrants has this, you know, resilience slash persistence of not giving up and only achieving or fulfilling bigger and better dreams. Meaning my last company exited, I'm happy financially. Would I stop there? No, I don't want to, right? And this idea that you are going and prospecting your next big thing and you never stop, I think that is something has to associate with uh, the dream of an immigrant coming to United States or to any other country, I tend to think. We wanted to um, to talk about in this in this podcast is where is your passion coming from? Like, how did you start that passion for entrepreneurship? Because obviously, it's not your first venture, but you came from being an employee for a large company into starting your own business, leaving a comfortable zone. Which I know is it's not like you're a twenty year old who just finished college, like whatever. You know, life is is open. I'll take a gamble. You left a very good career. You had a visa sponsorship, so you took like a triple risk. And you said, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. So I'm, try- I'm trying to set up where, how is that fuel? First of all, thanks for reminding me that I'm old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. I think Jacob probably knows me so well. So he's going, I guess, too deep on me. I, I do think about what kind of journey that I took Jacob at times. And uh, on the hindsight, I probably didn't know what I was doing. Uh, it's called entrepreneurship. In other words, when I was back in India in the college, I was playing pretty much contributing to the Linux open source community, uh, which was not unheard of when I was dealing with it, primarily because it's very entrepreneurial in nature, right? It's a, it's a new thing. It's a new way of, you know, building efficient open source systems. Yeah. And people got an opportunity to kind of go deeper into how do you optimize for computers and systems and servers, et cetera. And today like north of, I don't know now, north of like 80 to 90% of 
systems or servers are built on like Linux open source community. And I think if I if I just track back my uh, journey line, you know, coming to the US, doing the masters, going to doing the robotics, and then going to doing uh, like industrial automation, it's it's essentially what was happening is I was in search of uh, a desire to fulfill my entrepreneurial skills without actually knowing is what I'm doing, right? Like going from job to job. Like when I went to Intuit, I switched to four different jobs in uh, six years, right? Like almost every year I'm going doing a new project. And beyond those, those, those uh, you know, four different roles, uh, I was participating in introduced to have, uh, you know, ideation and incubation kind of program. So I created glass payment system using Google Glass. Basically, you walk into a store and you don't do anything. You basically pick up the thing and walk out and the glass payment system will take care of it. It's, it's almost like pay by glass. So I think I think it took me a while to kind of understand what does that internal thoughts and uh, mean to me. And there is a thing called entrepreneurial, you know, ways of doing things. So I think, uh, luckily, United States is a country where you can, you know, take bold risk and see where it goes. So I chose my path of trying to get into the space or break down, uh, I guess, the barriers to entrepreneurship by going, you know, getting my MBA expanding my network like beyond technology, talking to people to understand the disciplines that I don't understand, talking to people like Jacob so that they can help me out, reduce their risk uh, associated with the visa. It took me a while to get in the right path of being an entrepreneur. And my first startup fail, uh, it was a smart wallet, which we shut down within 12 months. And then that created an experience for me, a learning experience for me to start Ira, which was my previous company and then this one. So yeah. The passion was always there, yeah. Passion was always there. And, and I do believe that if you're a true entrepreneur, um, even if you start on the other side, well, you know, like being an employee or being a, a somebody part of a big system, eventually it's going to show its course. And even if you work for a company, if you're an entrepreneurial and create little systems within the company. I don't even know like how many things that I created and people still remember me, not of my job. But people remember me of the things that I created that are still like in existence. Right. You know, even here, this podcast, right, Sabrina, you, you, you're in charge of this big, um, you know, this new venture mm-hmm. within a huge company like QSIR, which yes. still is like, you know, it was it was, it was an idea that you took charge. And I think it's, it's cool to see that people who listen to this podcast, even if you work for a big company, you can still make a difference by doing something within the company locally to make a difference because it's your thing. You're the one who's per charge. Yes. Uh, the, yeah, you know, absolutely. The podcast or the the charity program we do, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. many things you can do. I think for me, the biggest worry would be like, am I pursuing the right thing? If, and if it's not the right thing, did I waste my time? Did I waste my team's time? You know what I mean? So, but, but I think, you know, with AI, it's such a controversial uh, space. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like since AI machine learning, there's the biggest buzzwords in the tech industry right now. And given the popularity of the fields, there's, you know, controversy that artificial intelligence is taking over the world, you know, we're creating technology that could surpass human capabilities. So how do you respond to critics that have these type of claims? I think generally any technology or any new technology that is new, like uh, people tend to often misuse or it is trying to find the perfect uh, use cases. Like if you think about uh, internet in the you know early stages, you know it was all about you know websites. You know, porn industry is a big big one. Not like it's a misuse, but you always find this first application which may not be entirely what people think is needed or you know for this for this particular tech. 
Uh, other example is blockchain. Like when you think about blockchain, initial use cases for the Bitcoin was all about like drugs and exchange of you know weapons, and you know th- th- that's something people would immediately uh, not latch onto. So I think I think even with the AI, I think what it could do, uh, you know, when it's in the hands of people, scientists, you know, bad behaviors, if you will, they would want to test the limits of the technology, and it may be sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional. Uh, and then unintentional will obviously get a lot of press and a lot of visibility on what we don't want to do. So I think any technology, whether it be AI or whether it be not AI, will go through sort of a journey of finding its home on how to do things right. Uh, and it happened with AI too. Like even for us, you know, my co-founder Sharon, she's been working in the AI space for almost like 14 years, right? So it's been in, in the existence for a long, long time. And previous applications were in the healthcare, in the B2B applications, uh, for the same reason of what you are saying, Sabrina, which is like, how do you do AI right? And how do you think about like AI taking over the world? Uh, when we apply AI to a human uh, problem that is more relatable, in this case, which is memory retention and recall, uh, it's almost acting merely as a tool to a, as an extension of a human being, rather than thinking about oh, this magical AI, it's a separate embodiment that has all the knowledge of the world that is going to take over, uh, you know, what we are up to. I think every tech will go through a journey of ups and downs, but I think we all humans come together and figure out what exactly uh, are the use cases that we want to deploy AI for. For us, it's exciting because AI in the consumer space has never been heard of. Uh, You know, over the past decade, AI has been deployed for B2B applications to get more efficient, uh, but this idea of creating new recall experiences is pretty magical. Think about like Google search when the internet initially started, like people were having a tough time to figure out which website to go to. Uh, and the idea of the search engines uh, were super magical. And this idea of like using AI as a technology, as a tool to like augment yourself, recall your memories, uh, I tend to think is, is magical. So it depends on the people who are building. It depends on the principles. It depends on you know what your brand principles are. Who are the people backing you? I think there a lot goes in it. Uh, but as long as you have true intentions of solving a problem in a more meaningful way, we have to make progress in the right direction. If you can tell us about one challenge that you um, uh, experienced in this whole journey of yours, what was it, and how did you overcome it? And a quick tip for any entrepreneur immigrant who is listening to this podcast, what is the one thing you would give them moving forward? Uh, the one challenge is dealing with the family, dealing with the people, dealing with investors. And it does get stressful. And I think it all leads to sometimes loneliness as well. But the good news is, I think, you know, there are many and many startups. Lately, there are a lot of communities as well that are coming up to kind of help the founders and, you know, talk to like-minded people. Uh, with my previous company, which was like six years ago, I didn't have like too many of those opportunities. So I, th- I think that's probably like one of the most challenging thing, which is like dealing with the unknowns. But I think that's what gives you energy as well at the same time. <laughs> Otherwise, you are not an entrepreneur. Uh, and in regards to one thing that I would always remember is be grounded. Uh, because one of the things that happens is, you know, you, you get incremental success over a period of time. You know, you go from C to C to C to C to B and start making money from 1 million to 10 million to you know uh, 20 million in revenue. Uh, and sometimes uh, your fundamental core principles may be diluted because, you know, because of the success. Uh, so I always constantly like remind myself, it's very important to be grounded and to be true to who you are, you know, what, what, no matter whatever is happening, whether it be success or failure. I kind of mentioned a couple of times resiliency, meaning can you manage ups and downs? 
you know, can you stay cool when there is like huge success that is going on? At the same time, can you deal with, you know, PR crisis that is happening in a more graceful manner, right? So being able to control those emotions and, you know, be resilient to, uh, you know, too many spikes and changes uh, is part of the journey. I think those are the two things that I can say. Excellent. This is great advice. Is there anything that looking back at the struggles, the challenges, your accomplishments that you faced, is there anything that you wish you had, would have known before doing Are you kidding so? me? Like millions of them. <laughs> <laughs> your top three. Oh <laughs> uh, dear. Let's see. I mean, I wish I would have had a better idea of how to grow a team from 10 to 50 and 50 to 500 uh, ahead of the time. Uh, because what happens is capital efficiency in a startup becomes super important. Uh, but I think as a first-time entrepreneur, when you're raising a bunch of money, you don't think about capital efficiency. You just think about getting to that ultimate vision, ultimate goal. Uh, so you may not be making like right choices in terms of, you know, the ROI and, and, the, and the spend that is happening. That, that's like an interesting one. Two, uh, I think generally the choice of, you know, how you raise money, where you raise money from alignment on, what you would want to achieve versus what your investors and your team wants to achieve. But I'm generally spending a little bit more time on uh, aligning and you know, establishing like base fundamental principles uh, and sticking to them uh, and using them as a you know, lever or mechanism to operate the company, I think will become super important. Uh, so right now I feel like 100% more confident like going into or walking into the office and I know everybody is on the same page, right? Uh, probably that was not true entirely for my previous company, but that's kind of a learning experience anyway, right? So I think, you know, those are some of the examples that I can think about, but uh, almost every day I think about, oh, you know, I should do this particular thing differently because I have a previous uh, example or previous data point on what not to do or what to what, what to do the results might be. And even, even simply negotiating terms, right? Like negotiating terms for the first time, it's new. Uh, so now you have an understanding of it. You can learn a lot of these things, but you know, practicality and it's definitely, uh, I guess, something that humans, like you know, we evolve to remembering and putting it in practice. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Suman, for your time. Thank you to Jacob for helping me out. As you can see, starting your own business is not easy, but things that give you purpose and fulfill your dreams were not meant to be easy. We are all embarking on our own journey and have our own definitions of success. Whether that means getting your first round of seed funding or getting another $10 million in revenue. No matter what, it's always important to remember where you started, be true to who you are, and most importantly, be the best version of yourself that you can be. I'm Sabrina Lay, and thank you to all of you listeners for tuning in, and I will see you in the next episode.